0: Look at your Bibles, if you would, at Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, as we continue to work our way through uh, the book of Ephesians, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the Spirit, that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now, if you're familiar with Ephesians chapter 2, no one wants to stop there (laughs) because of how it describes humanity. And we will continue next week. <laughs> but it's interesting in what we've seen in chapter 1 and what we will see in the remainder of chapter 2 and chapter 3, how important this little interlude of Scripture is. And it reminds me how oftentimes on different social media sites, people like to post memes and memories of looking back to when they were a child. and. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing to the early church, is really calling them to a memory of what was. But it's still an important truth in regards to the gospel. And oftentimes looking back can be fun. And I decided that we would take a little trip down memory lane as we began this morning and introduce this idea of of what the Apostle Paul is teaching because he's trying to get them to understand where they were. And when we move from this passage where God has them now, because of Christ. But I decided I wouldn't go back any farther than the 70s. So if you're here, because I personally know the age of some of you here, and we don't have the time to go back that many decades. But if you, come on now, I'm only speaking the truth. Only speaking the truth. So if you were born earlier, in the 70s or earlier, you don't have to confess when that was, And if your heart is broken over when you were born, it shouldn't be because you can't help that. But if you were born in the 70s or earlier, it's a wonder that you're even alive today. You know, because, (laughs) because pregnant women weren't told to stop drinking or stop smoking. And if your family was any culture like mine, my mom, while she was pregnant, was around other family members who smoked cigarettes. I mean, those of you who don't understand, it's because you don't understand. You weren't around. And it's so wonder any of us survived because there weren't seatbelts. My dad owned a car that out of the factory was not manufactured with seatbelts in it. See, I know for some of you that's hard to comprehend. Some of us rode in the back of an open pickup truck bed. See, by their testimony, they have survived. They are here today. All of us who were born in the 70s or early played outside without adult supervision. And and we made yeah, and we made it. And we made it. And then of course there's this You know, they used to paint baby cribs and toys with lead paint. I'm not making any of this up. So if you were born in the 70s or earlier, praise God that you're here today as you look back at your childhood. If you were born in the 80s, boy, that's really when safety and and parenting. How many of you remember baby Jessica? Remember she fell in the well And it seemed like that was one of those trigger points in our culture of how cautious parents had to be. If you were born in the 80s, you might have actually watched on TV in your school classroom the Space Shutter Challenger, sadly, that blew up. Um, But you also remember, you know, we are the world and hands across America. Now, let me make it clear the world's not any better because of those efforts. Like I said, I'm only speaking truth here. Okay? But the world had felt such a helplessness and a hopelessness that somehow mankind just thought they could generate enough money or other ways to help. If you were born in the 90s, computer games and video games were really really taking off. And probably your biggest heartache in the 90s was if you came home to watch your recorded TV show on VHS and someone had recorded over it. I mean, wasn't that just tragic? Wasn't that just almost life-ending? And if you were born in the 90s, and you saw one of the most popular movies then, The Lion King. How crushing was it that we were not properly warned of Mufasa's death? I mean, I mean, did that just lay you to waste? If you were born since 2000, this is where I stroke, if you were born since 2000, I really don't have much sympathy for you. Because as a result of all the older generations, you should never get hurt. And the greatest tragedy in your life is when you don't have an internet connection. That's the world in which we live. But looking back, or even at today... Do you seriously wonder how we ever survived? How did we ever get through? And your childhood experiences may have been, unfortunately, much less humorous than that which we were just speaking of, and, and may have been downright traumatic. But the fact remains that probably all of us, in some way, can question how in the world did I make it? Or maybe we ask, why in the world? am I like the way that I am? Well, by the fact that you're sitting here today, you have physically survived. And hopefully now, we can see what the Apostle Paul is pointing out in this brief little interjection between his description of the greatness of God and the salvation that comes in Christ as to why we had to be saved. And it's... Literally, because of your childhood, or take it back even farther, because of your birth. It's because you were born a child of wrath. And the relevance of our text is just as appropriate today as it was to those first century original readers. Because if you go back and review chapter 1, as we have done, as we have taught on for the last few weeks you can see just the greatness of God and what He has planned and already purposed and is being carried out for those whom He loves and have chosen and have provided for in Christ. And even at the end, in the Apostle Paul's prayer, after such a great doxology of praise, God's incredibleness, if that's a word, is beyond what we can imagine. And so we see that relevance. We see it Later in chapter 2 in regards to how great God's salvation is by the gift of grace and faith that he gives to those who would come to him. And I want to point out, as we look forward towards verses 8, 9, and 10, keeping this in the context is vital. It's vital that we understand who God is, who we are, and what God had to do for us to have any hope. And so in these opening verses of chapter 2, there is described the utter opposition, as chapter 1 lays out, to who God is and how we are actually against and in the complete opposite position of God. God is boundless in His glory, chapter 1 tells us. God existed and acted before the foundation of the world in goodness and in mercy and in love. And by his riches poured that out upon us. And chapter 2, in the midst of all that incredible description of who God is, it's like the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, took this bucket of cold water and just said, but let me bring you back to reality for just a moment because it's beyond our full comprehension of how great God is in His love for us. But I believe these few verses are put here, and I think in the context it makes it clear, so that we greater appreciate how good God is. So that we greater appreciate that not only God planned all this before the foundation of the world, but as we'll see later in Ephesians chapter 2, that He would still save us that he would still reveal his riches and grace towards us. Chapter 2 makes it clear, as we just read. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead. Dead. One of my favorite episodes of the old Batman TV. So let me go back to my childhood. In the 60s, there was the old Batman and Robin TV show. And one of my favorite scenes, and it just is so etched in my memory, as Batman and Robin were heading after the bad guy, and the villain was behind a bolted warehouse door, there was a booby trap set, and this explosion went off. And of course, Robin, being the character that he was, said, holy hand grenades, Batman, we could have been killed. Any of you watch that? Some of you are looking at me like you never heard what I'm talking about. And Batman's response without missing a lick was, or worse. Let that sink in for just a moment. That's comic genius. We could have been killed, or worse. Let me tell you what Paul's saying. You are in the worst position you could be in. You're dead in your sins and your trespasses. Now, he does make the distinction in which we formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. But in light of Ephesians 1 and the remainder of Ephesians chapter 2, which probably many of you are familiar with, do you see the stark contrast of being dead in our sins and trespasses compared to who God is? John Stott points it out in regards to this passage where he says, this is such a vivid contrast between man's nature and God's grace. For us to greater understand God's grace, I believe these verses are here for us to greater understand what God saved us from. You know, the pregnant mom who is in life or death danger while giving birth. And the blessing of God being that miracle of life when both mom and baby are saved. The only way the baby has any comprehension of what that experience was, was when the parents relay it to them. You know why? Because the baby didn't have a clue. The baby doesn't know, I barely made it out, and here I am today. And I believe the Scripture here reveals to us that moment in time where we were dead, and the only way out is through Jesus Christ. The very core of who we are is expressed here in comparison to the very nature of a holy, loving, merciful, and gracious God. I think it's important that we examine this difference side by side, that we line up chapter one and the rest of chapter two, just to these few verses that express to us who we are. In fact, all of chapters one through three reveal and describe, except for these verses, the greatness of God, the love of God, the riches of God that he's lavished upon us. All just, it continues and continues. And these are written in the original language that do not include any imperatives. In other words, none of this text is telling us what we have to do. What it's doing is informing us of who we are. And it's informing us of who we are in contrast to how great God is. You know, most of us are real good at looking at someone else and saying, well, at least I'm not that. What God has graciously decided to do in his word is say, look, you are all that and none of you are me. That's the way you need to understand these verses interjected in between chapter one and chapter two in the picture that it gives of the goodness of God's salvation. Now, like I said, we'll look at chapter two, verses four and following in weeks to come. But to examine what's being revealed in verses 1 through 3 is not a pretty picture. Let's look at the description. Let's look at the description that God gives of you. You're dead. Can't get much worse than that, in spite of what Batman said. You're dead. But look at how it's described. You say, but no, I'm breathing, I'm living. Yes, but you're dead spiritually. You're a dead man walking. And you're walking like this. Go back to the text. Sons of disobedience. You live in disobedience to God. You live by the desires of your flesh and of your mind. And it's summed up perhaps in one of the most direct and pointed statements of Scripture in regards to human beings. You're a child of wrath. There's nothing pretty about it. In fact, I wonder how many of you tomorrow morning will wake up and list that under your references on your LinkedIn account. I mean, this is serious stuff. And unfortunately, it's so serious, we don't want to even deal with it or face it. You say, because Pastor John, we've been saved by Christ. Yeah, but do you know what you've been saved from? Not the parents telling that child who barely made it through birth alive what it was like. But I mean, have you experienced exactly who you are and how you were born? You say, Pastor John, you're not making me feel very good. These verses weren't written to make you feel good. These verses don't include happy emojis. These verses are describing to you the truth of who you were born as in relationship to a holy, righteous, and saving God. That's the human condition. And I trust that as we look at the seriousness of this, that we hear what God has to say about us, not what we think about us, not what somebody else might be telling us about us, and certainly not what we conclude when we compare ourselves to someone else time to put on your big boy britches and face the facts and we don't like that when it doesn't sit well with us and by the way the description that we just went over it's so clear in the wording that's used and the wording is used on purpose and God is talking about you You're dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. You're a child of disobedience. You're a person who follows your own lust in in the flesh and in the mind. You're a child of wrath. Those are difficult words to hear. But the truth isn't always easy to hear. I wonder what it must be like for the surgeon when he enters the waiting room and has to give the worst of news to the family. I, I, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. Folks, I can tell you why they do it. Because they want the people to know the reality of what they face. That's why this is here. <laughs> so we know the reality of what God has saved us from. See, it may seem possible to imagine... But these verses grow in their devastation when we understand them in the scope of eternity. And two specific words in these verses make that clear. The word trespasses and the word sin. The word trespass literally means what we would understand in English when you see a no trespassing sign. It's the Greek word for getting off the path. Well, you know, if you're walking down a path or you're driving down a road and You see a sign that says, no trespassing? What does that mean? Don't go there. You're dead because you are where you're not supposed to be. God never intended by his original creation. But in your trespasses, you go there. The other one is sin. And again, probably a word you're familiar with or you've heard described. It's that idea of the archer. Who fires the arrow and misses the mark. Now, having probably some familiarity as I look around this room that most of you do with those two words, the part that I want to make certain you understand very clearly is that there's nothing unintentional or accidental about these words. An archer never accidentally misses the mark. What's his purpose? To hit the target. Somebody who walks right by a no trespassing sign knows full well what they're doing. This is not unintentional. This is not accidental. God is describing you as that child of wrath of which you are doing that which you're born into. And perhaps you've heard statements something like this. You look more and more like your dad every day you sound more and more like your mom every day. Why do people say that? Because you look more like your dad every day, and you sound more like your mom every day. Why? Because the reference is, that's your parent. You're the child. Hey, look at the connection. You're born a child of wrath. Why? Because your parents passed on to you that sin that's been passed on ever since Adam and Eve were here. Yeah, not many amens on that one. Because we don't like that. We don't like understanding that perspective. But those are what these words are describing when it talks about trespasses and sins. It's uh, It's an intentional, purposeful because we're born that way, life that we live, until Christ sets us free. It's both the heart, our intent, and our actions, both knowingly and naturally for us as human beings. I mean, we're going to be a bunch of Eeyores when we get done with this passage. And I know some of you in this room think your grandchild is Perfect. I can tell by your social media posts. They're just as sinful as you were born. Thus, the importance of making sure they know the gospel, because that's their only hope. That's the only way they get rid of that natural birthright of being a child of wrath. Parents, grandparents, how much time do you spend teaching your children to do wrong? I'm open for an answer. Why is that? It's natural. You know why it's natural? Because they, like you, were born that way. You're a child of wrath. And look at how the description goes on further you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Direct antithesis to the description of God, who in chapter 1 is described as being the God and Father of our Lord and Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Can you see the difference? It's downright frightening. And not only that has he blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, but he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. The reason you don't have to teach that child to do wrong is because they don't have any other choice. But what God did was to choose those that would be his. And before the foundation of the world, he blessed us in Christ. You are born a child of wrath, and your birth as a human in this world puts you in a place where you deserve God's rightful, holy judgment. And let me make it clear. When we talk about wrath, wrath is not anger. Wrath is not anger. It's a divine character of God that is most evident in response to sin. You know, God's wrath is a part of who he is. It's a biblical description of God. J.I. Packer, in his book Knowing God, writes it this way. God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. I think on that for just a moment because there is moral evil and there is moral righteousness, wrath is just part of that character of God in his holiness. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath abides on him. Or as the ESV puts it, God's wrath remains. Well, for something to remain, it had to already be there. And the reason the Apostle Paul calls you a child of wrath is because you were born with a sin nature contrary to the holiness of God. Therefore, from the very beginning, you're a child of wrath. And that wrath remains until you come to that place where you have personal knowledge and relationship of Jesus Christ. Now some, maybe by this point, have reached that Eeyore stage And you're thinking, there's no hope for humanity. Let me tell you, within humanity, there is no hope. You know, besides We Are the World and Hands Across America, I don't know how many farm aid concerts there have been, the UNICEF, the United Nations, The do I need to go on and name all these efforts to somehow make the world a better place? Raise your hand if you believe the world is a better place. No, really. I won't call you out now, but after we're done, I'm going to ask you why you think the world is a better place. Because within humanity, there is no hope. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ. And it's depicted in God through Christ, both in the first chapter of Ephesians and the remainder of Ephesians chapter 2. We're just not there yet. And the ugliness of this picture is because of the reality that it portrays of human beings being born as children of wrath in contrast to a holy God and His grace. So here, in these verses, we see the human condition outside of God's grace. That's why the apostle says, formerly walked, because he's writing to the church. But as he describes it, it's very sobering. And yet, With that in mind, maybe we need to linger here a little bit. Maybe we need to face the reality of the sinfulness from which we have been delivered. Maybe we need to examine our thoughts and our words and our actions to the place to where we step back and stop outrunning the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Maybe we need to once again regain a knowledge of sin and understand what God has saved us from as part of our sanctification that would all the more drive us to holiness. Again, not that there's any hope in humanity. Only hope's in Christ. But we should be sobered by this description because it's the description of anyone who does not know Jesus Christ. It's the description of you before you came to know Jesus Christ. And perhaps we need to pause for a moment on that phrase where the Apostle Paul says, among them, talking about those who are still children of wrath, we too formerly lived. We were there. And with that truth in mind, maybe be more aware of the goodness of God's grace in Christ. In other words become more cognizant of what it is that God has saved us from. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, God's grace is free, but it wasn't cheap. And perhaps it is as it is with most gifts, we don't realize the value of it because we didn't have to pay for it. Folks, you need to focus on verses 1 through 3 to greater realize the value of what God's done for you in Jesus Christ. You need to take a long, hard look. And as Jared Mulvihill writes, the gospel becomes more glorious when the depth and power of our sin is seen as grievous. When we greater realize the grief as a result of sin, I believe we can have a better perspective On how great and glorious the gospel is. And and if you're here today as a former child of wrath, or maybe you're here today as a child of maybe you're sitting here today and you say, Well, I don't I don't know that grace of God, then we just describe we just spent the last 20 minutes describing you. Because, like I said, for those of us who know Christ, we were there as well. The only difference is God has moved us in Christ. That's the only difference. And so if you're here today as a former child of wrath, or like I would like to say to borrow a worldly term, we're all recovering children of wrath. We're recovering. We're still recovering. That recovery process is what the Bible calls sanctification. That God's making us holy. But I think the question to, no matter which category you're in this morning would be this. Do we recognize sin anymore? Oh, I'm not talking about murder. I'm talking about those thoughts or those hidden actions or maybe those words we mumble under our breath that nobody else hears. That's no less sin. It's exposing who we were as a child of wrath. And, Christian, I would invite you to just bow before God and say, Holy Spirit of God, examine my heart and examine my life. Because I'm thinking most of us in this room, I'm hoping all of us can say, I've never murdered anybody. Jesus said, if you were that angry in your heart, you have. We've lost the seriousness of sin. And unfortunately, too much of that nature of being born a child of wrath still exists. And the greater hurt is that it's still comfortable to us. See, that's where we've lost the conviction of sin. Oh, well, this isn't that bad. And we're still comfortable with doing what we know is wrong or ungodly. We're still comfortable with thinking those thoughts. We're still comfortable with speaking those words. Now, you've got to fill in the specifics. But do we truly grieve and mourn over sin as an offense to a holy God? If you're a child of wrath today without Christ, then no, you probably don't recognize that because that would be counter to your nature as a child of wrath. But understand this, as a child of wrath, you deserve God's wrath and His judgment. And your only hope is a deliverance in Christ. But I wonder, recovering children of wrath, have we come to the place yet that the psalmist realized in Psalm 51? Jot that down and go home and read it. At the beginning or towards the beginning of the psalm, he says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, as he's crying out to God, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. How many of us would live by that motto in our approach to God? But that's not where it ends. Because at the conclusion or towards the end of that psalm, the psalmist realizes God's goodness and pens these words. For you, again... Speaking of God, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Oh God, these you will not despise. Recovering child of wrath, when was the last time you were broken over your sin? When was the last time you truly had a contrite heart? Because of sin against God.